I, I try to get my music leaders to not call it worship, um, although it is, but you just sitting there breathing is worship. Uh, but just the, the fact that we've got four unique individual singers up here every week is is pretty phenomenal, just the uh, way God has gifted us with uh, musicians, and so thanks for doing what you guys do. It's uh, Someone asked uh, last week, can we record that stuff, and it's like, well, that's copy uh, written music, so we can't put it on YouTube, they'll, they'll just uh, shut it down, so we can't, we can't do that, but Man, I wish we could because it's a blessing to so many people out here. So thank you all for doing that. And thanks for the Fishers Police, too, for uh, watching out after our neighborhood, <laughs> Royal Hood. Uh, actually, it's Royal Wood, but we, uh, yeah, just they've been uh, active in our neighborhood the last week or so. So I get what you're saying, Matt. Uh, just be praying for them because during the whole pandemic thing, it, it's getting... It's getting a little crazy out there, but hey, I'm glad you're here this week, and uh, we're going to continue to pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians. I got halfway through chapter 9, and he was talking about uh, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Some people thought that that was a sin, and then he began to affirm his apostleship, his ministry, and explain why he does what he does, and to continue to give positivity to that. But the idea that he left us with last week was, you're going to have people with differing opinions. You're going to have people with differing opinions about whether the food for idols is a sin to eat it, or if it's not. And uh, it's okay. Just don't be a stumbling block to those two different groups of people with different opinions. I thought that was a pretty good message for this week that we've just had. Because people, even in this room, have differing opinions. And it's okay. But he's literally saying, don't be a stumbling block about that issue about that issue. So then we pick up in chapter 9, the middle of chapter 9, verse 19. We'll start there. He says, Although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Literally what Paul is saying here is to please myself. If you think this is about me and I'm doing this for me, then you're wrong. I'm here today delivering this message just as Paul is, not to please myself. I'm not even here to please you. I'm here to exercise the gift that has been given to me, which was eloquently said by Dale and by Matt that there's this spirit that's living inside of me and he allows me to live my life in a whole different way. And so today, that's what Paul's literally saying right here. Nobody owns me. 
I'm not a slave to anybody. I, I'm just here in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ in hopes that people will hear it and more people will receive it. And then he says in verse 20, To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Well, he was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was actually a Pharisee. He knew the law better than anybody. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. He's not referring to the life that he grew up in, obeying the law, learning the law. He's talking about his life after his conversion of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was at this point a Christian, but his background was Jewish, and he still wanted to reach his Jewish family members. He wanted to reach his Jewish friends, and so he knew how to act when he was around his Jewish peers. He says, to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law. And here's what he's saying. If you jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he says this. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Did, did you catch that? Five times he was beaten, his body was beaten, 39 times because that was a Jewish law. You couldn't be beaten 40 times. So what did they do? They would beat you up until the point of the law said, you can't do 40. Okay, we're going to do 39 on you. Five, tell me that Paul was not intense on reaching the Jews. Like, hey, look, if I got a couple lashes, I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you guys are on your own. Five times he took 39 lashes. That dude was intense on reaching the Jews. If I have to do this, I'll do it. I want you to hear the good news that I heard when I was a Jew. He was really rejecting his Jewish upbringing, but he definitely wanted to reach him. Verse 21, he said this, to those who are without the law, that would be the Gentiles, like one without the law, he's without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. I'm not under God's law, is referring to the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant law, all thou shalt not, thou shalt and do all these things and honor thy father and all those things. I'm not under that law. I was, but I'm not anymore. But I'm under Christ's law. Okay, then you go, well, what's the law of Christ? Well, I can go back and I can show you the references, but basically Jesus says this. The law of Christ is this, love others. I came here to love others and I came here to serve others. So the law of Christ, love others, serve others. Walk by the Spirit, this is the law of Christ, walk by the Spirit rather than a list of rules. I don't need the Ten Commandments. I don't need the Old Covenant rules and laws and everything else. And in fact, it wasn't even given to me, it was given to the Jews. You realize that, right? 
the Ten Commandments weren't given to you as Gentiles. They were given to the Jews to show them that they couldn't do it in their own strength and that they needed a Savior. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. About saying, you can't do this, try it, you can try it, but it's not going to work for you. They've proved it. Then Jesus came along, died, and said, hey, I'm going to send you a paraclete. I'm going to send you a servant to live inside of you that will do this for you. And if you just walk by your spirit that's in you, that is the law of Christ. Verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may be very, may by every possible means save some. I have become all things to all people. <laughs> That's an unfortunate phrase that has been abused right there. All things to all men has been used and abused by the world and made to mean what Paul never intended it to be. Paul, he wasn't some sort of chameleon that was changing his ideas, who was changing his philosophy, who was changing his theology, who was changing his experience to say whatever he wanted to tickle the ears of his audience. That wasn't what Paul was saying right here. He didn't compromise He didn't adjust his message to please his audience. He was literally an ambassador of Jesus Christ rather than a politician. This is what he did. I came to represent. I came to love. I came to serve. I came to teach. I came to live as an example. Like Literally, he didn't parade his liberty in front of the Jewish people. They're under the law. He's free. He didn't come and say, oh, look at my freedom. As compared, he, he literally came to the Jews, and he understood that they were under the law, and he explained Christ under the law. Nor did he come to the Gentiles and say, hey, I know all this law. You need to live under the law. With the Gentiles, he's like, you're free, and you've always been free, but now you're free in Christ. So he became all things to all people without ever changing what he thought about Jesus. Verse 23, he says, now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. (laughs) Uh, He's doing all this, sounds like, for himself, so that I may share in the blessings. No, I don't think that's Paul's heart at all. I'm not doing this to get something in return. I'm doing this because it's part of who I am. It's my identity. My ability, God's given me the ability to sit up here, the place to sit up here, the place to talk about Jesus, the place to interpret and teach. Whatever blessings come from that, yes, well received. But that's not why I'm doing it. It's not why Paul's doing it. He's literally saying this. I have to think about what I am saying, and what I should not say. Man, that that is my life. What should I say, and what should I not say? How do you have more tact so that you can have more contact? 
do you track with me here? How do I not offend, although the gospel is offensive, Jesus is offensive, how do I not offend, how do I shut my mouth, how do I live my life so that more people will be attracted to it? I'm kind of getting into this habit of saying, you know, like people say it's good to see you. I'm kind of getting in this habit of it's good to smell you. I mean, why, why is it such a big deal that we see each other? Why isn't it great to smell each other? I was, some of you are looking at me like, what are you? There's an aroma in this room that is absolutely beautiful. I went to Sunrise, imagine that, uh, Friday for lunch, and I smelled, I smelled the Friday morning guys that were there earlier that morning at 6 o'clock. Literally, I walked in, sat down, sat there with Michelle, and we had lunch, and I smelled the guys at the table. Well, what does that mean? I heard the waitress, new waitress, Molly, talking to some other group about the group of guys that were there earlier that morning. I'm like, she's talking about my guys, my Lavender guys that come there on Friday morning. So she comes back over the table, and I said, I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying about the guys on Friday morning. She goes, I love those guys. She goes, this morning they brought me this. And she showed me her necklace. And there was an aroma that was left in that restaurant by our men. There's an aroma that is left by you, this community, as you go throughout this community. And Paul's literally saying, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That means I have to learn how to shut my mouth. I have to learn when to speak. I have to know what to say so that I may share in the blessings. When we walked out of there Friday sunrise, there was a big smile on my face because my friends were ministering to the people that I love and care about. Hmm. It's kind of like this. Imagine if David literally put on Saul's armor to fight Goliath. That seems like common sense. Hey, you're going to go fight Goliath with a slingshot. Take my armor, which is like probably three times the size of David that's heavy, and put it on and protect yourself. That seems like common sense. And David's like, no. I don't need the armor. I'm going to trust the Lord. But imagine if he would have put him on, he would have lost his freedom. It's the same way when we have to deal with people's opinions, when we have to deal with legalism, when we have to deal with the law. It will restrict you. It will restrict you. And David was free from Saul's armor, and he was free to fight Goliath, and he slayed Goliath because he trusted Jesus. It's literally what Paul's saying here. So my question to you is, what does it look like in today's world to be all things to all people? What does it look like? I think, <laughs> I think it means to shut your mouth. 
Maybe it means just put your device down. If you can't handle that, just put your device down. You see, once you fly your colors, you've lost part of your audience. I'm a Colts fan. I'll fly my colors. You automatically lose some audience right there. I, I'm a Christian. I realize I lost some of my audience there. When you fly your colors, you have to be careful because you're going to lose part of your audience. That makes it sound like I'm saying, well, don't ever talk about Jesus. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying be sensitive. Yeah, but there's, there's stands that need to be made. You need to make a stand for something. You need to, believe, you need to like get out there and, and post what you believe so that people will know the truth and everything else. And I want to say, is there any stand greater than someone coming to know Jesus and letting the Spirit lead them in their own opinions? Is there any stand greater than that? How do I get to someone about the good news, the gospel of Jesus. It's not going to be through sports. It's not going to be through politics. It's not going to be through entertainment. It's not. That may be a bridge. But my opinions about that, it's for the sake of the gospel. Verse 24, he says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. You know, as I was coming from a point of legalism and transitioning to a point of grace, which happened, well, it's still happening, (laughs) Uh, but started around 2000, the year 2000, so for 20 years now, I've been transitioning from legalism to grace. But it was far easier to be legalistic about everything. I'm just telling you, it was easy. Everything was black and white. I was taught this growing up. Now I had to like rethink everything. I had to renew my mind. I had, I had to like unpack a lot of baggage. I had to take this long list of do's and don'ts and put it away. Because now it didn't make sense into what my new paradigm was and my new understanding in Christ. So I could have been, I was legalistic, and then I could have just gone the other way and just been totally hedonistic about everything. And like, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. Anything goes, what seems to you is good in the moment, that's okay, just go do it. Go with the flow of what's going on around you. And I say this all the time to you, zoom out and see the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. Zoom out. Whatever's going on this week, there's a bigger picture. All right? Relax. Breathe, he said. Just breathe. Just breathe. Relax. There's a lot bigger picture than what's going on this very moment. And and what Paul's saying here, it's not about being the sole winner. It makes it sound like, oh, it's all about winning. 
No, he's talking about how you run the race. Live your life through how you've trained well for the race. Yeah, there's going to be, you're going to win in the end. You've already won. You have salvation. But now, how do you run the race? He says in verse 25, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Oh, self-control, that... Oh. Self-control will get you... Depends on how self-disciplined you are. It, some of you will get a long ways. But that's only going to last a while. Here's the way I see self-control. When he says, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, self-control equals your free will. Right? Self-control equals your free will. You have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice for what you're going to eat for lunch. You have a choice for what you're going to do this week. You have a choice whether to get up and be on time in the mornings. You have a choice. It's your free will. It's your self-control. But here's the choice. You always have a choice between two things. What you want and what the Spirit wants. You have a choice between your flesh, selfish, what I want, versus who I actually am, the Spirit inside of me. What am I going to do? It's a choice that you have to make. He says, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. In the Greco-Roman times, when they would compete, you know, they would do their race, and then the winner would get a wreath to place on their head. History tells us that that wreath was made of pine needles. You know, like Christmas tree, like they made a wreath out of that, or olive branches, or even celery. A wreath of celery. How long does it take for a wreath of celery to wilt? Not long. He's saying that crown, it's, it's going to die. It's going to wilt. But what we're racing for is we're racing for eternity, and it will last forever. It's going to... It's going to last forever, he says in verse 26. So I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. He's literally talking about shadow boxing. Shadow boxing is used as cardio exercise today. People shadow box. He's like, I don't train like that. I actually train with the sparring partner. In other words, I take punches. I'm not just like swinging at the air. I literally have friends that I can sit down and I can have conversations with and they will give me a legitimate fight. And I have conver- and it helps me. Look, I sit here with you like iron sharpens iron and we have conversations and we talk about theology and I'll say something up here and Sven will come up to me afterwards and he'll challenge me on something or not necessarily challenge me, but hey, did you ever think about this? I greatly appreciate that. Why? Because one, you're not just listening, but you're processing. 
I don't care about great messages, great sermons. I, I don't care about that. I want to know that the Spirit's working in you and speaking to you and talking to you, and you're processing things, and you're trying to figure out how to live out of this new heart. That's what's important to me. That's literally what Paul's saying right here. Verse 27 says, Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. They literally had races in Greco-Roman times, and you had training and all that, and if you didn't do the appropriate training, you ate the wrong things, or da-da-da-da, they would disqualify you, and when the race was ran, they would announce all the people participating in the race, but then they would also name the people that were disqualified. And that's really, that's really what Paul's like saying, right? He's trying to take this illustration and make it into an athletic illustration that they all understood at this time. And he's like, I, I don't want to be disqualified. But then he uses the word control. How do, who is in control of my body? Again, it comes down to self-control. Sometimes my flesh is able to take control. But I'm learning more and more every day to let the spirit that resides in me to have control. Did you hear that? My flesh takes control. That's me being selfish. But if I submit, if I surrender, there's a spirit of God living inside of me that will do it for me. It's giving up control to the Spirit. I have to put my device down. I have to put my remote down. I have to quit dwelling on the things that are temporary, but things, think about the things that are eternal. If I am focused on the eternal, the temporary will take care of itself. I have to zoom out. I have to see the bigger picture. But I myself can get caught up in the very moment. And then uh, getting to a few verses here in chapter 10, he says this. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That, that's a passage of scripture right there that everybody's like, what, what's he talking about? This is really in reference to his ancestors that were escaping from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Remember, they passed through the Red Sea. And it says they were baptized. Well, what does that mean? Baptism means immersion. But what does it really mean? Baptism means to follow the identity of. Remember, some were, follow, were baptized by John the Baptist? Because they could identify with John the Baptist and everything that he was teaching. Then they had to be baptized when Jesus came along. A second baptism. Because they believed and they identified with Jesus Christ. And this is literally what they're saying. Those people followed Moses right there and they believed in the law, the covenant, the old covenant. It's one of the reasons why when we baptize at the Ward's house, the swimming pool here at Levner. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? 
because that's who we are publicly identifying ourselves with. That's who we as disciples are following. So everybody knows who we identify with. Verse 3, it says, they all ate the same spiritual food. What was that food? Manna from heaven. They wandered in the wilderness and they ate manna that was provided by God. Verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The Jewish believers thought that they took this rock and that they placed it everywhere they went. That wasn't the case. We know several times Moses just took his rod and he tapped the rock and water poured out from the actual rock that was there at the time. You can look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 11, and see that God put water out of a rock? Yeah, that was the spiritual drink that they were receiving. And then in verse 5 it says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. You realize that 40 years... 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness as they came out of Egypt. 40 years was basically one generation. They lived about 40 years and then they died. Those that disobeyed God ended up in the wilderness and for 40 years they were killed off until the next generation of Jews came along. Only Joshua and Caleb survived those 40 years. And this is what he's saying. He's, he's literally taking them back to Old Testament history right here. This is Paul saying this. Verse 6, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Paul is literally encouraging the Corinthians in the New Testament not to follow the example of the Israelites complaining about their provisions that were provided by God, Christ, in a rock. Verse 7, it says, Don't become idolaters as some of them were. You look at Exodus chapter 32 when they were worshiping the golden calf. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. The Baptist would say, See, you're not supposed to party. <laughs> you, you totally missed the point. He's talking about doing this as worshiping idols. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In the wilderness, the Moabite women seduced both men and women at the end of the 40 years. Look it up, Numbers chapter 25. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. They were tempting God And he literally sent judgment upon them. It's in Numbers 21. Paul is taking Old Testament history, things that happened to the Jews, and explaining to them now, both the Gentiles and Jews, what happened. Verse 10, And don't grumble as some of them did. Numbers 14 and 16. And were killed by the destroyer. Who was the destroyer? It was some kind of angel that came along. So why is Paul choosing this array of Old Testament sin and rebellion? Why is he bringing out this whole list? What does it have to do with the Corinthians? They're sitting there thinking, what is this? You're talking about Old Testament. What does this have to do with us? 
And then verse 11, he says, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the ends of the ages have come. Everything that Paul has now mentioned has something to do with idolatry, of not putting the God, Yahweh, of Israel first in the lives of the children of Israel. He's like, you got other things ahead of God. And interesting enough, the same things that he mentioned right here have something to do with the aspects of the Greco-Roman pagan worship that is happening in Corinth, happening there in the temples. The exact same thing is happening in Corinth. He's like, hello, do you see what happened in the Old Covenant? It's now happening here in your own pagan temples. Verse 12 says this, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. I kind of laugh there because uh, that's the passage of Scripture that's just totally blown out of context. Did, did, you, did you read... Do you not see what it says right there? No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. This passage has always been misconstrued to say that God won't give you more than you can handle. Mm, Does not say that. Does not say that. God will give you will not give you more than you can handle. Let me defend God for a second. (laughs) All right? First of all, we live in a fallen world. There's God who is good, loving, mercy, grace. Then there's an evil power that's going on in this fallen world. And he's the ruler of the world. And he's doing evil things. Not God. The evil one. The evil one is giving you things that you probably can't handle. He's, it's him doing it. Not God. It's him doing it. So to take that and say, God will not give you more, first of all, don't blame it on God. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying this. There's nothing new in Satan's game. The same thing that he's doing in Corinth, he did back in Egypt, in the wilderness, and everything else. It's the same stinking game. And the same stinking game that he's playing right now in Fishers, Indiana. His game hasn't changed one bit. It's all about temptation. And every temptation that you're dealing with right now has already occurred many, many times over and over and over, over and over and over in history. Paul's literally saying that. 
whatever temptation you personally are dealing with, it's not new. As believers in Jesus, and with the Spirit of God now residing in you, as Dale and Matt were saying, there's no temptation that can't be overcome. Are you tracking with me? The biggest thing that you're dealing with right now, there is a Spirit of God inside of you that allows you self-control, free will to make your choice to say, hey, you know what? If you let me handle this, I got it. I'm your way out. I'm your way out. You're always, it says right there, that's a promise. You'll always have a way out. No matter what you're tempted by, you have a choice. Choose your flesh, choose the spirit, but there's always a way out. You get this. this. For me and you sitting in here that are believers in Jesus Christ, the sin, the action of the sin, that's not the sin. The sin is you choosing to follow your flesh. That's the sin. Anything outside of the spirit is sin. So if you choose to follow your flesh, that's the sin, not the actual sin itself. You got two choices. Walk by the spirit, walk by your flesh. Even if you're doing it in your own strength and it's a good thing, it's sin. The temptation, the test, the trial, those all come from the same Greek root right there. It may not go away. Sorry, you're in this flesh suit. It's probably not going to go away. can, but probably not. That's never promised in the scripture. It never says that temptation will go away. The temptation... The evil one's going to play his game. He's going to do his thing. But God says, look, I'm there. I'm for you. I I give you your way out. If you turn to God, we will be able to endure the temptation. We don't have to fail the test. Now watch this. I'll pick up on what you said, Dale. I jump to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Watch. This is the same thing that Paul was saying in his letter to Corinthians. The Hebrew author says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. He's going back to the same thing that Paul did. Where the ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years in the wilderness. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, They will never enter my rest. (laughs) The same thing Paul was telling the church in Corinth. God said, 
because you choose yourself and we've shown you this pattern, you're not going to be able to rest. Hey, hey, church, let, let me give you the good news. That was old covenant. Jesus came, lived out the law perfectly, was crucified, put on a cross, his blood was poured out as forgiveness for our sins. His body was broken so that we could have life. He was buried. He rose again. He's sitting in heaven right next to God. And they said, let's send a spirit to live inside of those who believe Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And we'll give them the ability to rest from their own flesh and works if they just let us do it. This isn't a salvation question. You got salvation. It's a question about the quality of life that you want as a believer. Do you want to follow in legalism and walk down that path, or do you just want to, like, rest? God, I can't do this. I'm going to succumb to the temptation every time. I need you to do this in my life. I'm just going to rest. You may not know what that rest looks like. I wish I could give you a shot. Some kind of injection, some kind of knowledge, some kind of download for you to under... Because I'm still figuring out what that rest is. But I'll say this to you. Give it a try this week. Put down your device. Put down your remote. Just rest. Trust. Set your things, set your eyes on things above. Just start thinking about things. Driving here this morning couldn't help but see God in the nature. The leaves, the sun, it, if you just breathe, listen to the Spirit, I promise you, you're not going to sit on your couch all week. It's going to be a heck of an adventure. Just listen to the Spirit. Father, Sometimes we don't even realize what we've been given. Today, that's my prayer, that I, my friends here, your church, will realize what they've been given. The holy living God inside of them that dwells, that chooses to dwell in them and to live their life for them. May they rest in you this week. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.